Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart, distinguished professor of Arsenal and Football Studies. This week featured our round three match of the Carabao Cup at Brentford Community Stadium against, naturally, Brentford, and Premier League match number seven at Dean Court against Bournemouth. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. You look very dapper in the, the green uh-huh. away kit. Yes, I think I think I might be wearing this before they have. Have they played in a game no, wearing this yet? No, no. The debut is is this week, which we'll talk about. But yes, okay. the debut is is this week. Actually, I'm curious. I think I asked this before, but I'm curious. Is there uh, is there something on the other side? Is there, do you have a name on the back? Uh, showing it in the video. Ah, there we go. Not bad. This, not bad. This time. So, yeah. So we talked about it when I ordered my home jersey for our inaugural season. Um, I have number 11 with Martinelli on the back. Uh, for this time, I didn't want to repeat myself and I wanted to spread it around for the other players who I appreciate. And uh, this time I went with number eight, Odegaard. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it was, it's funny. You know, I ordered it from kit bag like I ended up doing with my home jersey last time. So that's like the United States. European Jersey store, basically that run by fanatics. Um, and I ordered this thing like way back in like the beginning of September. Uh, it just came last week, like the day after we recorded. (laughs) Um, yeah, there was definitely a big lead time on it. So yeah, uh, good. I like it. I I love the way it looked from when we first looked at it. So yeah. I do notice you have the the Premier League patch there on the other shoulder. Which yes, is, which I is did. I, I, yeah, uh, yeah there one. we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I went for that. You know, whatever. It was. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. I mean, the suspicion is we're going to see it more, supposedly for Europe, as they say. But then again, you know, they these kits will get all kind of jumbled up, and then probably by the end of the season, we'll just wear the red all the time. But yeah. right. Yeah, interesting. I figured it's got the Premier League font on the back, so it'd be incongruous to have anything else. And I figured I may as well get the patch. Mm-hmm. Support the league a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, because they need they the need it. They're, they're, right. they're, that that little the little financial engine that could that is the Premier League. Yeah. So uh, so meanwhile, I, I speaking of jerseys, I came to another realization this week. Um, so my team, the Pollinators, is the name of my U eight team that my son plays and that I'm coaching, and um, <laughs> I, I'd been noticing we have a very our, our jerseys draw a lot of attention to themselves. And I realized seeing the away jersey this weekend that actually our jerseys are pretty much the same color as Arsenal's away jerseys. Uh, so so that's, say, with, a, with a name like Pollinators, I feel like yellow is kind of the... Yeah. Like it has to be yellow, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I would probably prefer a more muted yellow. But yes, it is a very similar shade of highlighter yellow slash green, depending on the lighting around it. So, yeah. <laughs> and we can all totally pretend that you didn't choose that on purpose. Well done. <laughs> I didn't I didn't choose it at all. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it would not be surprising. I hear stories about youth coaches when they get to pick the colors, they pick the team they support. It's like, OK, kids, we're all going to wear blue. You know, right. No, I mean, when it comes to baseball, right, I'm I'm. Yeah running my division in baseball. I do pick the schedule. I pick the jerseys and stuff for mm-hmm. baseball, right? And so, you know, naturally I've been the ninjas twice in a row because it's it's a black jersey and a cool name and that, that's what <laughs> I go with. Um soccer, nope, I'm not running the league. I'm just coaching. So it's uh it's not up mm-hmm. to me. So <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. Um but 
a little bit of follow-up. So we talked about the Super Mick Arteta chant and needing a little bit of a revamp, right? And I don't know if you caught this when you're watching either match this week, but I noticed this during the Bournemouth game, I'm pretty sure, because um, we definitely heard the Arsenal chanting very, very loudly. The commentators actually remarked on it at one point, saying this is the loudest they've ever heard visiting fans at another stadium before. It was, it was a lot. Uh, but... I was listening to see, because it was so loud and distinct, I was listening to see, could I make out what they're saying after we've got Super Mick Arteta? He knows exactly what we need. And you know what happened? It got really indistinct. Like, everybody singing it is singing something different, and they haven't settled on anything collectively yet. Yeah, that, that, that'll that come at some point. Um, or yeah. it'll ju- the song will just get retired, and there'll be something else that people will, will gather onto. There are options, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> the, the Arsenal songbook grows. <laughs> well, speaking of which, uh, you, uh, you have a link that we're going to share to an article talking about a new one that popped up uh, during, as we record, it was two days ago's Bournemouth match. I watched it yesterday, so I'm trying to do the math in my head a little bit. Um, but yeah, Saturday's match against Bournemouth, uh, Kai Havertz was allowed to get his first goal and there was a song to, to encourage him along and help <laughs> with his self-confidence. Yes, there is, a, there is a Kai Havertz song. We should, we, should, we should clarify this is not an article. This is a Twitter post, but you can hear them singing ah. very well. Um I'm actually blanking on the actual name of the song that it's based on. It it, it is it was sung by Shakira. She wrote it for the 2010 World Cup. I want to mm. say it's this time for Africa. Waka Waka oh, okay. is the, in the in the chorus is kind of the the famous line. So I think that's part of where it called where it comes from. But it's um I, I won't attempt to sing. But as you listen, you'll hear the lyrics. Uh, waka Waka A A sixty million down the drain. Waka Waka A A Kai Havertz scores again. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I never heard Waka Waka in any context other than the app that I use for learning piano. It was an mm. option and I played it once and it wasn't one that I've returned to because I wasn't crazy about it. But yeah, interesting. I didn't know that, that was a uh, World Cup related. <laughs> yeah. Although usually when you hear, although now I'm going to reveal my age, I guess I hear Waka Waka. I usually think Fozzie Bear. But uh, I know me too. <laughs> be careful with that joke. It's an antique. <laughs> so... Once again, this week, we are not going to formally enter the Messi room because Messi has still been sidelined. Um, I'm really hoping that he gets better soon because Miami really needs him. Uh, but I did watch the Open Cup final. So congratulations to your Houston Dynamo. I see you celebrating today. My, my, se- I should say my, uh, my other adopted team. I know I'm not, I haven't forgot, I haven't forgotten that I'm a New York City fan, but living in Houston, it's good to support local like it's sure. good to, you know the support you want to support the sport at the local level and the houston dynamo or you know, well they're having a having a really good season and you know just capped off early with the u.s open cup so right so yeah you know I, I clearly watching that match you guys deserved it as much as i was rooting for miami yeah it was not happening for them so uh, yeah and they've been playing and they've been playing very well especially especially recently they've struggled a lot they've been very good at home uh but have struggled a lot in away games uh but you know they they played well on the road here. I think part of the part of the difference, um, one of the advantages Miami has is of course the weather. Right, it, it remains very hot there. It's very humid. That can be difficult for a visiting team to handle. But but buddy, we're Houston. We yeah. live in this. We were born. <laughs> maybe we were born like the, Houston does the same thing. A couple times I've been to games there, and you can see the visiting team like by about seventy minutes. 
really starts laboring. Even though the games kick off late at night, it, it, the sun's going down, it's hot and humid and teams are laboring. So, you know, but if you're going to Miami where the weather's the same, that's not an advantage against a team from Houston. Similarly, right. of course, when Miami would come here. Sure. Um, but Houston's been playing very well. Uh, they, they've, for a city the size it is and for um, just the, sort of the resources available in terms of the community, the kinds of communities that are around here, especially their love for the sport, it is kind of disappointing how, how the Dynamo have been kind of terrible, really, for the last decade. They, hmm. they were born, brief history of the Houston Dynamo, they were born in, in 2006. They were the, the San Jose Earthquakes. Hmm. Uh, they were a team in San Jose that moved here to Houston immediately after arriving in Houston, they won two MLS cups back to back. Really, uh, really good. Some really good teams they had for a number of years. And then as those guys started to leave, the team sort of to slip in the standings. They built a, their stadium downtown. It's, it's not far away from it's in, it's in downtown Houston. It's not far away from where Minute Maid Park where the Astros play. Um, and the Toyota Center where the Rockets play. So it's all very kind of centrally located in the city or in the downtown area. Um, it's a nice, it's a nice little stadium. Uh, you know, certainly not out of place as far as soccer specific ones in MLS go, but they've kind of suffered from a lack of investment and really a lack of interest. The, the, a lot of people in the city just haven't really, really kind of glommed onto them. And, you know, they've been, they've been bad the last couple of years. There hasn't been a whole lot to grab onto, but they have mm-hmm. a new ownership group, uh, over the last couple of years. They have, um, and there's a, you know, they, they actually, I, I had read, I'll try and find the link and send it over, is a um, a piece on The Athletic interviewing the new owner, him sort of talking about some of the challenges of, of rebuilding Houston. Uh, they, their, their central player is a, a Mexican international named uh, Hector Herrera. Uh, Herrera actually previously played in Europe, I think was Atletico Madrid. So he's played at some high level before, um, before coming here. He's done really well. Um Coco Carasquilla out of Panama, who was the, the player of the tournament at the, the Gold Cup this summer for CONCACAF. Um, Corey Baird's been a good striker. They, they have a lot of, you know, really interesting pieces, interesting players. And they really, they're, I think we're fourth in the West right now. I mean, really done a lot to sort of pull it together. And so the hope that this is really laying the foundation for something that can, you know, put, put Houston in a place where they're not an original MLS club like a, a New England or a D.C., uh, you know, whose portions have fluctuated. They're sort of in that second wave there, and a first wave of expansion. Um, I mean, and we can go into more in the history of MLS another time, sort of the different eras of clubs hmm. as they come in. Um, but it's yeah, it's good. good. They they won it a couple of years ago, uh, the Open Cup, and they've won it again. And uh, they're they're not even clinched yet, but they're a pretty good shot for the playoffs. Uh, hopefully, getting a home game, which will you know again, hopefully, just keep the keep the good vibes going this year. Well, yeah. So the other Miami game that I, I watched either all or most of this weekend was against your primary MLS team, NYC. And I'm watching this whole time, imagining you watching it rooting for New York City while I'm watching it rooting for Miami, which I, I when I first started watching MLS games, I fully intended to follow NYC along with you like, like I've done with Arsenal. But mm-hmm. eh, my son drew me into watching Miami, and I'm definitely way more familiar with them. And when the two of them play, that's that's who I'm rooting for at this point. But. Uh, look, as long as it's not Red Bulls, that's, that's uh, the important thing. That's, <laughs> I 
actually saw a kid wearing a Red Bulls jersey yesterday uh, at the playground. Um, I wonder if it was a New York one or if it was like one of the like Germany or Austria, like Leipzig or something. I, I wonder. But anyway, I think it was the New York Red Bulls. But you're right. I didn't pay close attention. Do they all say Red Bulls like on the posterior? Bo- yeah, booty they're area? all. Yes, they're all okay. owned by they're owned by Red Bull, the energy right. drink. They're all it's it's and, and they've rebranded that way. It's it that's yes, they all look the same. Yeah, I guess I assume since I'm in New York State that it probably was the New York Red Bulls, but I do not know that. So that's a pretty good guess, uh, yeah. but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah, if it was the other way. So, but yeah, so you know, a, a few questions came up from watching that match. One, like you were talking about clinching the playoffs, so I wanted to get a sense of the overall shape of the MLS season because I know it is definitely different than how the Premier League does it. It is infused with some American traditions as far as how sporting competitions go. So. Yeah, I mean the biggest one, of course, is is the introduction of a playoff and, right. and, a, and a large playoff. Like the Mex- like Liga MX, Mexican League actually has a postseason, um, but but MLS has a playoff. Look, it looks like an American one. This they keep changing the structure, and I mean I've really been following MLS intently since New York City joined in 2015, which has now been a while actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but but generally they've already changed the playoff format a couple of times even since then. But I believe the structure this year is uh, the top nine teams. So they're split into two conferences, East and West, very Americanized as well. Uh, The top nine teams in each conference make it in. Eight and nine will have a play-in game, so to speak. The winner will face the number one seed in each conference. And then otherwise you get uh, two, seven, three, six, four, five. And, um, and so yeah. top, top of your, is it is a conference like yes. East and West? Those are conferences. Yes. So is the, your, your seed within your conference is determined by points accrued during regular season play? Yes. And it is win, lose and draw what, three points yep. for a win, one point for a draw. Same as, same as just about every other league in the world. Yep. Um, and you go back, for, you go back to the early days of MLS, like the late nineties, there are, there were penalty shootouts and, and there were some fun ones for a while. They had the, like, you started at midfield and dribbled the ball up forward. Hmm. He, I mean, it's one of those that you say, and everyone's like, "That's so weird." But guys no, who played not. it were like, yeah. "Actually, that was really cool." I kind of yeah, no, I, I could see that. Yeah, uh, it gives the keeper more of a chance, like because in some level, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have more to kind of study as he approaches. But anyways, um, so as far as the regular season, does each team in the conference play each other at home and away like in the Premier League? Yes, you will play every team in your conference home and away. And then you will play a certain number of teams. I forget. There's I think it's 34 games in the regular season. So I, I, I'm not going to do the math because I mm-hmm. don't really do math. But Basically, you play everybody in your conference twice, and then you will play a certain number of teams from the other conference. Right. Um, you know, and, and you can get a fair amount of them mixed in. I, New York City was awful. I was actually out of town that weekend, but New York City was here in Houston, which is the oh, first okay. time we'd been here. I want to say since it was 2018, I think we came down the last time they came down to Houston. So oh, okay. um, I was just why I couldn't go at all. So. Uh, that was a little disappointing, but, um, so that's, that's interesting then. So not every team is on equal footing then as far as getting points in the regular season. Some teams are going to draw or however it's determined harder and easier teams from the other conference. That's interesting. Yeah. And so th- there is an award. It's called the supporter shield, which is given out to the team that finishes with the be- the most points. Um, they have a couple weeks left, but, uh, Cincinnati just clinched it, uh, this past weekend. Um, which is impressive because like two years ago, they were the worst team in the league three years mm. running. So they've done a really impressive job sort of building up and 
are now now have won the supporter shield um which is a nice honor like it's not nothing but in an american league the play mls cup the playoff is sort of right. the central thing um you know, so, and, and as you point out, it's kind of you point at the unbalanced schedule. That's kind of where I am as far as the supporter shield's great, and I'd love to win it. You, you know, my yeah, New York City or even Houston, I'd love to win it. But the trophy you play for is MLS Cup. That's the right. one that matters, and partly because that's I'm an American, but also the <laughs> supporter shield just doesn't. It, it's not like in England where you play everybody twice and you just right. the points. It that the fact that it's different, like that it's structured differently is is part of it is part of why i don't think it had measures quite the same thing sure and so there's only one supporter shield and it's whoever has the most points between the two conferences yes it's a okay. yeah it's an overall table for the the whole the whole uh league and then the structure of the playoffs is it like a bracketed tournament or does it have like a group stage first or yeah, something it's, it's a it's a bracketed it looks i believe it's single elimination so it looks like any uh, like uh, right. like uh, I think the NFL is the best comparison because it's also single elimination. They for a while they would do two leg ties like you see in in Europe UEFA competition. Uh, for a lot of reasons they got rid of that, um, and so now it's single elimination. There's some talk about maybe bringing back series. There was a rumor yeah. they were going to try some sort of weird group stage in the postseason. I, I'm not a big big fan of that idea. Like, yeah. but but yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting thing how they're thinking about all the ways they think about doing that and how that is changed, partly just because the league has expanded. They started with 10 teams for a while. They actually contracted, they were at 12, they contracted down to 10 hmm. and have slowly since then been expanding. And I believe there are 29 currently for this year and next year. And then in 2025, San Diego will come in as t- the 30th team. Wow. That's cool. It's good to good to see it, and you know that as it grows more, you expect that that'll help us with our national team recruitment efforts. Like uh, the more time goes on, so yeah, yeah. It really, it's not so much guys playing in MLS because the guys we want on the national team are really should be are playing. I should be playing in Europe, but it does a right. lot for guys at the youth level. Gives them right. those academies they build up. Yeah, yeah. The, the countries that have actually really benefited a lot from MLS are really are seeing a lot of the Central American and Caribbean countries whose players have the opportunity to go to a league that's not far away. Right. But also one where they will get paid regularly. Right. Right. Definitely. Which, which is not the case. I mean, you know, it's really hard to break into South America, which is its whole other world. Mexico is a very self-contained, you know, ecosystem in a lot of ways. So a lot of these, get these guys from the Caribbean and from Central America, there are a lot of opportunities in the U S sure. and, so, and as I said, like it is a professional league, like, the best teams in Costa Rica or you know, Honduras or or um, you know, some of the or Jamaica, like some of them are pretty solid. But it doesn't take long to get down the table and see some see basically glorified semi pros. Um, right? Yeah, I just meant expanding awareness and interest in it, and yeah, developing like youth interest that then feeds into player development. And yeah, ideally, our players are good enough to play in Europe, and that's where right. we want to see them play. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, there's a lot of different. Ownership philosophies. We mentioned Red Bulls owns a team. Manchester City's group owns New York City. So that's why the city and the sky blue uh, connection. Uh, Stan Kroenke, the Arsenal owner, owns the Colorado Rapids, who are based out of Denver. Uh, but where Arsenal and many of his other teams, like uh, the Denver Nuggets, the Los Angeles Rams, the Colorado Avalanche, actually, he doesn't own them. Anyway, several teams he owns have done very well and have won championships. The Rapids are terrible. Yeah. And they have been bad for a while. <laughs> hmm. Don't know what to make of that, but 
So, okay, cool. That's a good recap. Mm-hmm. Right, is that an Arsenal koozie? I never saw that before. It, it, it is, yes. Well, it's actually the the Houston the Houston Gooners. So we'll zoom in a little bit. You can see ah, the, okay. can, the the ball, Cannonball said the HDX Houston Texas. Yeah, yeah. Spin that around the the Houston Gooners. So nice. All right. <laughs> represent my 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 Gooners. My Gooners. For those group. listening, yes, uh, Keith's beverage can is inside a, a Houston Gooners uh, drink warmer or cooler. <laughs> so yeah, cool. Um. Next, next question coming out of these uh, MLS games that I watch. So I've seen this in a bunch of MLS games and I've seen it occasionally in non MLS games where there'll be ads along the byline. So that's the out of bounds line alongside the goal on both sides. And they'll, there'll be like a secondary sponsor. It'll kind of be like one of the sideboard ads, like that level of sponsor. It won't be like the stadium owner or anything from what I've seen. Um, what I wanted to point out that's, that's kind of funny that I've noticed is when, so I've seen these really on MLS games and then in some cup games and when the game, so as far as I can tell from what I've been able to see when they show other angles, most of the time, these are superimposed or like generated by some algorithm that takes an image and calculates it to make it look like it's standing upright as if someone had a board, <laughs> like with another board behind it, kind of standing it up next to a yeah. sideline. But as soon as you see the ball interact with it, it's clear that it's not actually that. And I'd wondered at first if it was kind of painted in perspective shift and that's something they could do, but they didn't do that. It looks like it's superimposed like digitally over the field because when I've seen them show it from a different angle, it goes away completely mm-hmm. instead of seeing it painted and looking all weird, right? Yeah. But what was really funny is I've noticed that MLS with Apple being their technology partner, it looks great and you don't question that it could actually be painted on. Whereas I've seen with ESPN plus covering cup matches when they've done it, mm-hmm. I've seen that you get like weird, like motion artifacts and it does, it, they don't do as good a job, which is yeah. kind of funny. Like MLS getting their money's worth out of the partnership with Apple. <laughs> yeah. Um, although you do see a lot of those. I have seen those before where they are painted on. Um, okay. They are painted in a way that's designed to make it. Yeah, you're right. Make right. It looks like it's standing up, like it's a stand. Uh, right. It's like they do the same type of thing on streets where yeah. they'll have like a picture of like a little kid playing that if you look at it up close, you can barely even tell what it is because it's stretched out over like 20 or 30 yards so that when you're far back from it in perspective, yeah. it looks like a kid playing on the street or something. It's that right. kind of perspective, like forced perspective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I think that these are digitally superimposed. It looks like an Apple. Apple does it better. Uh, and of course, I would say that because I'm unabashedly as <laughs> much a fan of Apple as anything else. So <laughs> um, the the other thing I wanted to check with you on. So having watched low these many messy and messy list Miami games, um, I'm, I'm a fan of Drake Calendar. I think overall, he's a good keeper. I, I like what I've seen from him. He seems to get the job done most of the time. I, I appreciate his skill. Um, one thing that I saw that was kind of strange in this match against New York City is there are a couple times where they had free kicks in threatening positions just outside the penalty box. And I could see him holding his head. So his cheek was either touching or nearly touching the the post in the goal. And he was staring very intently out. And I, I wasn't sure it, it, did it have something to do with how he wanted the wall to be formed and what role do keepers even play in that in the first place? Uh, well, to answer the second question, in terms of roles, uh, the keeper is generally in charge of that because the part of the wall, the, the goal of the wall, of course, is to block off part of the, the shooter's view of the goal or his access right. to the goal. So a lot of times the keeper determines where he wants the wall to go. go. 
And you'll see a lot of times, you'll see keepers, it always looks funny with the big gloves, but you'll see them like doing the pointing. And they'll, they'll okay. have guys move because they, it's, it's really about making sure that they have a clear view, they have a clear view of what's going on because the keeper needs to be able to see the kick coming. Also, he needs to be able, to, also, he wants to sort of block off certain parts so he can force the ball maybe to go a certain way because of where the wall is positioned. So he, he is, the keeper is setting that position. Yeah. As for why Calendar is doing the thing with his face against the post, that probably is just because where he, what he's using for perspective probably helps him in terms of where he wants to see things lined up. Right. Um, so that's, you know, and, and you'll see that a lot. Guys will stand up against the post or they'll sort of go to different positions. Um, every, everyone's got their own sort of way that they either developed or been taught about where they're trying to stand so they can get the right kind of view for what's coming. Cool. So, uh, so yeah. Um, why don't we get into the Brentford match? Um, this was a bit of a nail biter. Um, it was not the strongest performance from Arsenal. We got the job done. We ended up beating them, uh, one nil. Uh, but it was, it was tense. And there were some moments, especially like in the second half where it kind of felt like, Ooh, <laughs> they could do something here. There, there's a few close ones. I think, uh, what, what was the one player's name begin with a W, um, Wissa, I think, or something. Um, he, <laughs> I lost count of how many attempts he had that just none of which landed, but all looked like they could have. He had like a whole bunch of near misses and I started to feel bad for that. I, I didn't want him to score against us, but it's on a personal level. Like I felt bad for him because you could tell how badly he wanted. He just wasn't getting it. Yeah. <laughs> I but, mean, the really uh, snarky yeah. answer is that's why he plays at Brentford. I mean, I, I say <laughs> that advisedly, but yeah, I mean, a, a guy who can bury those. Ch- I mean, that's what we talk about why goal scorers and strikers make so much money. And why they cost so much money is the ability yeah. to score in all of those circumstances or to take those chances and bury <laughs> them is so valuable. And yeah, that's kind of why he's at Brentford and not perhaps yeah. somewhere else. Who knows? I don't know. I don't, he maybe he's probably a younger guy. So maybe he, he develops that and, and makes Brentford a lot of money when they sell him elsewhere. But right. Uh, I think that's, <laughs> right. But, but I think, yeah, I mean, I did see some of that, especially throughout the second half. It seemed like they had a few of those chances in, although a lot of what I, the commentary got afterwards was very, I, I didn't watch the full bre- the full extent of this match. I was able to see bits and pieces uh, throughout the, mostly in the first half. Uh, I saw a lot of bits and pieces there. Um, I thought obviously it, it, we looked good in the first half. It, it, certainly, the way I was approaching this or thinking about it was our performance with what was very clearly a second dairy or rotated rotated lineup. In a lot of ways, comparing that to the kind of rotated lineups we were rolling out uh, in the Europa League last year, and we talked about this too, right? Our Europa League performances weren't very good. No. Um, you know, we got away with it because, mo- you know, the Europa League competition wasn't very good. Brentford's a Premier League team. We know them a little bit. Um, you know, they're struggling to score without Ivan Tony, but they are, they're still dangerous, even though they themselves were rotated. Uh, they rotated their squad too. Yeah. But, you are, you know, I thought we, the parts I saw, again, a, a piece of this first half, I thought overall we had a better performance. I felt better about our performance and the depth of our squad currently at this season than I did this time last year when we were talking about Europa League games. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I could see that. Um, 
One one thing that I wanted to ask about. So we did see Ramsdale back in goal for the first time since Raya's mm-hmm. debut um, with us. So you had brought up, I believe it was last episode, the idea of a cup keeper. And I didn't really impress you more on it. But I want to ask you about that again with a couple additional points. So first of all, it was pointed out in the commentary. This match was against Brentford and Raya is on loan to us mm-hmm. from Brentford. So there is no way he even could have contractually played in this match, it sounds like. Um, so that's that, that you're right about that. And it's kind of interesting interesting question typically that's true part of the loan agreement is that you don't play against the team like you don't play against the team that owns your contract right um, it's a conflict of there, interest yeah but there were uh, so the the way i heard it was there were rumors that actually brentford had waived that as part of oh. again there's all sorts of bits and pieces that go into the deal like ours is essentially a loan to buy right like at the end of the year we can basically decide Yes, we like David Raya. We're going to buy him, which at this point, you know, all of three games, three or four games, let's be honest, we're going to do it. Um, it's perhaps because of that, because of that, we may have also negotiated the ability to use Raya against Brentford. Mm-hmm. However, apparently during the couple, I guess they, I caught the little bit I caught, uh, the commentary said during, during the couple days leading up to it, apparently Brentford's manager had made some comments that that may not have been the case. I don't actually hmm. know. Right. And I think it's fine as is that Ramsdale was playing. Um, but, but yes, typically that's, yeah, typically that's typically part of a loan deal is players don't play for right. their, their own, their club. So. Right. And I could see it from both teams' perspective that you wouldn't want it. I mean, from the home, from his, owning team's perspective, you don't want the player that you're loaning out to beat you. And then from the team that he's loaned to, I don't know that you'd necessarily like assume you, I guess you would assume they're professionals and that they're going to play their hardest, but you wonder to what degree their heart might not be in it to the same degree, perhaps. I mean, I, I, I think it's, I, I would look at it probably the other way, certainly from, from Arsenal's perspective, the reason you brought this player in is because he thought he was useful and he could help you. So to not have him, I mean, I, I can understand the emotional angle there, but as you said, these guys are professionals. And once you're in the game, once that competition kicks in, like mm-hmm. you, you want to do well. Like you're not right. like, it's not as if he pulled it, it. It's not as if Raya was like, well, I don't, I don't know. Do I really, I <laughs> really wants a goal. I mean, he's sitting there going, my job is on the line here. I got to make that save. I got to right. make this pass. Or, or whatever the circumstance may be. Yeah. Um, and that's just a general rule. Like you, it, it is in some ways it's unsafe to go less than full speed. If you're, if you're holding back at all, you yeah. actually put yourself in a dangerous position. You're more likely to get hurt. That's true. Um, yeah. And then from so, the perspective of the loaning club, there's a reason you let that guy leave, you know, like yeah. there, there's, so in a sense, yeah, you don't want to be hurt by that. But if you're if you're a team like Arsenal, who's we have some of our players who've been loaned out, like uh, the name I saw was a uh, Charlie Patino, who plays. I believe he's been loaned out to Swansea. I think I saw. Um, if we were to draw Swansea in the cup, and we got knocked out, you know, the reason we wouldn't mind is because we're like, well, Patino, we don't think he's good enough to play for Arsenal as currently constructed. Mm-hmm. Now, if it turns out we got knocked out of the cup because he scores a hat trick. I mean, well, then, you know, that uh, this is good. It means he's developing. We'll be able to sell him for <laughs> right. more money. Like, you know, yes, as a, a competitive angle, right, as a competitive angle, you want to see that happen. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to see that happen necessarily. But honestly, it's, it, for the extent of the loan, it's, it, it, 
we're loan you loan players to see them develop, and if they're that, if they're playing well, that means they are developing, and so in the long uh-huh. run, that's actually not bad. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I see it from the perspective of a father. Like, I'm actually happier when my son beats me in something <laughs> than, than when I beat him. I mean, it's obviously a much more disparate <laughs> level of competition, I would hope. Also, but, the, finan- the financial implications of those outcomes are, are substantially different. I think it's important to say. That too. <laughs> but so, so getting back to the idea of a cupkeeper. So we mm-hmm. had talked when they were first, I think, even talking about bringing Raya in before it was finalized. Um, we had talked about you don't really necessarily need a backup keeper where you'd have one doing your European competition and one doing your Premier League competition because you don't have the wear and tear on a keeper that you do on a player who's running back and forth the whole field all game. And so that seems to run in contrast to the idea of having a cup keeper. Like, why would you need someone for the cup games if you don't need someone for a Champions League game? So why would you have a cup keeper? It, it's, it's not about need. It's really more about getting the backup time. So in a lot okay. of respects, the point of calling him the cup keeper, what you're really saying implicitly is this competition is less important to us. Right. Um, it, it gets the keeper time because keepers like anyone else, they, if you, when they don't play their skills, are, you know, the, you grow a little stale. I mean, you can practice, 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 but there's nothing quite like the game experience. Right. For, you know, for, especially with a keeper as good as Ramsdale, you know, to have him as our number two, and he's, he is our number two right now. You, you still want to have games where he plays, but, you know, you, you save a little wear and tear on Raya, and you get Ramsdale in, in the Carabao Cup, especially, because of, again, of the, of the four competitions we're in right now, that's number four. That's not, mm-hmm. that, if, if we had lost to Brentford, everyone would have been like, ah, that sucks. And then it was gone off, you know, like last year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the FA Cup is kind of the same thing. Now, in all of these competitions, uh, in the Cups, well, it depends with the Cups, but as you go deeper, which Cup, but as you go deeper, you'll tend to see more first-team players brought in the closer you get to the trophy. Um, but it's a philosophical thing. A lot of big clubs will use the, the Carabao Cup as a youth tournament, basically. So they'll roll out a lot of younger players, the second lineup guys. Um, Arsenal did that, I want to say it was 2008. Arsene Wenger's philosophy was always that the, 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 the League Cup, with all of its various sponsor names over the years, was a youth competition for him. He treated it that way, played a lot of the younger players. And there was one year Arsenal actually went to the final. I want to say it was 2007, I think. Went all the way to the final. We played Chelsea. Chelsea pulled out... Frank Lampard, John Terry, Didier Drogba, like all their big players. I mean, maybe not all of them, but Drogba definitely played and, and some of their big name players. And we had, and Wenger basically said, the kids are the ones who got us here. They get a chance to win it. And we lost. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the experience disparity was, was apparent during the game. But, you know, that was his philosophy. They got us here. This is what we want. A lot of other managers yeah. will, a lot of other managers will look at that and say, we're now deep in the competition. No, we want to win this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you pull out your better players. And again, as you go deep in the competition, it depends how the rest of your season is going. Right. If we're if, if Arsenal is once again in the title chase, the FA Cup doesn't look as important. Right. If we're suddenly sitting around third or fourth and it looks like City has pulled away, and if anybody pulls away, it'll be City. We're third, we, you know, we're sitting around third. Maybe we do push a little harder for the FA Cup. Maybe right. we play that way for the Champions League. You know, Matt Turner played in Europa League. Champions League is a whole different beast. 
David Raya, our number, our, your number one is going to play in the Champions League. So in a lot of respects, cupkeeper is a really nice way to say backup. Yeah. The yeah, idea it, of, I can yeah. see that. It's it's for the benefit of him more than for the benefit of your number one at that point. Right. Yeah, I can see and that. For, and for his benefit. And just, you know, you have a lot of games. And, you know, it, it's, it, it also says a lot about the priority of the competition. What, how, what yeah. is important? It's a way to say what is important to us right now. Right. So we've been talking about the FA Cup, and this is the English Football League Cup is what the Carabao Cup is. Mm-hmm. And I, I got confused thinking about it. So I, I thought I understood the FA as the governing body that rules all the leagues in England. And yet this is the League Cup that encompasses not just the Premier League, but all the other leagues too. Mm-hmm. What what is well, the overlap and what is the difference between those two entities? Yeah, so the FA, as you point out, governs the entire sport in England, all of it. Right. The Football League is the entity that historically governed the ran the league competition. So you can go back to pre Premier League; they ran. You know, up to the, 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 what was the football league, the top division, they ran that too. And you won the football league. That was your, that was the title at the end of the season. In the early nineties, the premier league is those clubs in the top division broke themselves off and formed the premier league as a separate business entity. Okay. The football, the, the EFL, the English football league still runs championship league one and league two. So the next three levels down and the league cup is a competition only between teams in those top four. Okay, whereas the FA Cup yeah. goes all the way down to the bottom. The FA Cup is open to everybody, right. Uh, right. whereas the League Cup is only restricted to these top to these top clubs. So um, and there I, aren't a, there aren't a lot of countries that do a second cup competition. I think France does, which is hmm. weird. But um, <laughs> there aren't a lot aren't a lot of countries that do that a second cup competition. But England does. So so on a technical level. Are the teams in the Premier League actually in the Football League, or they've removed themselves, but the the Football League wants them to compete for this thing because they want the best teams to play? I believe that's accurate. From a business sense, they are separate. Right. Okay. Um, But also, remember, if they are relegated, they dropped out a championship and then are in the Football League. Right. You also hear hear this the other way. So I don't know. have Have you watched or been watching Welcome to Wrexham? No, I have not. Okay, interested, so but not enough to actually watch it. <laughs> for those people who are, Wrexham start the, the documentary depicts. Well, the, they're now in their second season. It depicts last season, so they're about a year behind. You know, where okay. Currently, um, they were in the fifth division, what's called the National League. They were outside of the Football League by winning the league and winning promotion. Spoiler alert: They won the league last year. You can look right. it up. Everybody knows this. They won the league. They get into, and they met, they say this throughout the episode. All these, all the Wrexham fans talk about getting league football, getting into the league to get into that into league two, into that fourth division. That's a huge step up from being in the fifth division, the fifth level. <laughs> league two, that fourth division, the the infamous fourth division called League Two. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, so yeah, that's uh, that's all good to know. Um, I, I guess I don't ultimately have too much more to say or ask about the Brentford match, except for a couple things I'll bring up in light of the Bournemouth match. Um, mm. But yeah, you know, Reese Nelson had a really nice goal toward the beginning that kind of set us ahead, and that's that's how it ended up. It was just the one goal. Um, 
we talked about the 10 second half. There, there's one thing in, in stoppage time at the end of a second half. Um, <laughs> did you see the, the short corner that they took that was defended against like right on the spot? Like it, it moved like an inch or two forward from the line. I've never seen so short a short corner before and it ended up getting knocked out again. I don't remember if it, who knocked it out and what ended up happening. <laughs> that, was, that, was an, that, that was an arsenal corner, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I didn't see that, but I what I suspect is happening is that was time wasting. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, I can you'll see that. you'll hear this sometimes, guys. If they get a break the other way, a lot of times you hear people say like, "Grow to the corners." That is, you run away to the corners where you're away from everything, and it just wastes time while they chase you down. As opposed to you cut in on goal. That's where the defenders are. That's where the keeper is. They get the ball. They can turn it the other way. You go to the corner. Yeah. There's nobody there, so you're in space, and you can just waste right. time. So I suspect on a short corner, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, obviously takes the notion of the short corner to its most logical extreme but yeah. yeah it was literally like it bumped off his foot like it didn't travel more than five inches it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really short so before we move on to the bournemouth match uh let's thank our super fans and encourage you to join their ranks so what is a good new super fan well it could be you and what do you have to do to become one it's just a small fee. Just pay a dollar a month, less than most people's cups of coffee in a day, let alone a week or a month. And you get some extra stuff. Um, we put in ad-free episodes. So, for instance, you wouldn't be listening to this right now if, if you became a member. Um, you also get the satisfaction of supporting us and you get that warm and tingly feeling for knowing you're helping us keep doing what we love. And hopefully you love listening and watching, too. Uh, watching, too, and listening. Watching and listening, too. <laughs> there we go. Um, you also get early access. Access to our episodes. So, you know, we're recording as I speak these words, it is 10.03 p.m. Eastern time. Um, typically by around 11 o'clock or so Eastern time on Monday nights, I'll have the episode posted. So if you're curious for our takes on things that happened over the weekend, uh, you will get it as soon as possible and as close as it could possibly be to listening to us live. And who knows, if we get enough interest from super fans, maybe we could figure out a way to broadcast live and that's something we would add in the future. So you know, the more members we have, the more we'll uh, entertain even cooler things like that um, in your members only feed that you would subscribe to. Um, you will also get um, special bonus segments. So I'll put in the ad free version of the show. Sometimes we talk about things that may or may not be on topic uh, sometimes. So, when we first did the um, commentary on this uh, third kit for this season, that was something that we did as a members only bonus segment. So I, I revealed uh, my thoughts on it live as I saw it for the first time. We talked about it a little bit. Um, we've done other things talking about the history of the world part two. <laughs> we've done other things like that, which are completely off topic. It's just something that Keith and I are interested in and wanted to talk about and wanted to share it with members. So uh, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Um, we will give shout outs after you join. So listen for that. And like I said, it costs only a dollar a month and we hope you will join us. So become a Gunnar super fan. There is a link in the show notes or show description on every episode. You can always click over and uh, we hope you will. So thank you again to all of our super fans and, uh, We'll get back to the regularly scheduled content. <laughs> so the first thing that I noticed from this Bournemouth match is I've noticed this more during MLS than in Premier League play, but 
they had the lower camera angle where you could kind of see all the players across the field more than the more bird's eye view that we're used to at Emirates or on the bigger stadiums. And absolutely, there is no doubt in my mind now this is because of a smaller stadium. I mean, you could see from that camera angle, you could see there's only one tier of seating going around their stadium in Bournemouth. And yeah, it was it was a tiny stadium. Yeah, I looked at some of the seats, 11,307. Okay, that's more so you might have guessed. Yeah, it's 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 not very big. I you know, you do see that it's not the smallest one in the league. Um the I believe the smallest is Luton's. Um yes, Kenilworth Road is looking at the seats just over ten thousand. Uh it's the second smallest in the league. It's the only one bigger than, than Luton Town. Hmm. Um but yeah, I you know, it doesn't take much I, a lot of them are, are more in the twenty to thirty thousand uh, uh range up to forty thousand. Um which is is pretty big given the population, the size. But you know the uh, what is it? The largest uh, ground in the league is Old Trafford, which is uh, seventy four thousand, um, which would be a decent sized NFL stadium. But then, like the next biggest is Tottenham Hotspurs, which is at like sixty two, which would already be one of the smaller NFL stadiums. Right. Like, it, it just being in the U.S., our perspective on what is a stadium size is is a bit warped in that regard. Sure. And it's different population sizes, yeah. Or at least what you would expect for, uh, you know, the the top tier of a major international professional sports league. Right. Yeah. So we kicked off the scoring. So the, the game ended up uh, 0-4. We had a commanding performance. And, you know, so that's it's good to note that even without the two penalties, we ended up accruing that we still would have beaten them 0-2. This is a good week for our goal difference, for sure. Um <laughs> <laughs> we started off the scoring in the 17th minute. It was, it was a, a fun little bit, a fun little exchange. So Odegaard shot across. Jesus headed it and then it bounced off the, I couldn't tell if it was the crossbar or the upright. It was somewhere in the corner of the outside of the goal. And then Saka headed it in a second time to actually get it past the keeper. So that was a fun way to kick off the scoring. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fun story about that. We didn't see that goal live. Oh, really? So, so those who were watching live on Peacock, because apparently this wasn't an us problem. This was a national Peacock issue. Uh, they were having a lot of trouble getting the stream running. And so it was very stop and start oh, um, no. and a lot of pauses. In particular, that was one the play right leading up to that. You know, Odegaard's cutting inside and turning to shoot and then or turning to either shoot or pass as he turns in. It pauses. And of course, you're watching. watching oh, no. No. Oh. Um, the worst and so of timing. course it comes it comes back we restart everything it comes back on and it's one nil oh oh oh, 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 man. oh cool uh <laughs> all right cool yeah um, did you at least get to see the replay right after yeah we saw yeah we saw some of the replays but but you know I, we we think it was uh <laughs> NBC was also showing the the Ryder Cup the uh, the international golf competition and which is again it's a competition that was in Europe so it was running early in the morning so they, apparently there's a there, people are guessing that there was a a lot of people logging in and using Peacock at it. More people than usual logging in at that time huh. and slowing down the overall system. Since you watched on replay, you wouldn't have seen any of that. Right. Well, what I also noticed, and we, we talked about this a couple, a couple times during the last season, but it looks like Peacock was showing for the replay. They were showing the Premier League feed. It was not a mm-hmm. Peacock branded feed that I saw on the replay. It had the Lions Head logo and mm-hmm. the graphics all looked different. I could tell it was not Peacock's traditional feed. So 
Um, I wonder if that is part of why. Do you remember what you saw when it was live? It was the it was the Premier League one. I think they oh, okay. do that. I think that they do do that for because NBC. I mean, it's NBC's commentators. It was all their people. It was. But I, I think they tell. use the okay. graphics package because you also I, you wouldn't have probably noticed this because you skipped through it. But there's no halftime show. It's just they just show some highlights and just uh, run some stats. But it's there's no show. Like they don't go to the studio and. Okay. You know, what did we see in the first half? I think right. No Rebecca so, yeah, Lowe. Yeah. None of that. Yeah. None <laughs> of the, none of the studio guys. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that's the premier league feed, which they do usually, they usually do it for lower tier premier league games. Um, and in this case, Arsenal at Bournemouth wasn't a particularly big deal. I mean, that's what I figured. Yeah. Liverpool Spurs was on after us and that was the, the prime game. City was sure. playing Wolves. They ended up losing, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, so there are some other games that uh, Manchester United was playing Crystal Palace at the same time. There are other games that were going to generate a lot more interest than us at Bournemouth. And right. I think the score justifies that decision. <laughs> as well as I think the results in those other games. United lost, which was a bit of a surprise, although not really. They've been kind of bad. Um, City lost, which was a huge surprise. Liverpool and Tottenham played a, a cracker of a game. Like, okay, yeah, yeah we won 4 0. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing that I wanted to talk about, and I the seeds of this thought started during the Brentford match and then kind of continued into the Bournemouth match. And I need to keep on referring to my notes as I'm referring to these two teams because they definitely get merged together in, in my mind, like kind of two syllable I'm, begin with hey, a B. I'm surprised, I'm surprised I've kept them both uh, separate so far. I'm doing really well. I didn't want to okay, say Okay, so it's not just me. Yeah, I'm, surprised. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about this, but now I've said it and I'm going to screw up again. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Kai Havertz, if you had to summarize to me why you think Arteta brought him into the team, what role do you feel he was there to fill or is still there to fill? The general sense is that Kai Havertz is supposed to be a better version of what Granit Xhaka was. And we talked a okay. lot about Xhaka and sort of utilizing his strengths. They talk about the, the idea, right? He's the box to box midfielder. Xhaka is a really nice passer. He's also very direct. Like he can run mm-hmm. into spaces, but he's not. Uh, Kai Havertz drifts much more. And it's one of those things that sounds like you don't want a guy who just floats around and drifts, but he, but in doing so, he actually is really able to get himself into a lot of interesting and potentially dangerous positions. He can be very flexible. He can go to a lot of different places. So he is, I think, he is in a lot of ways what Mikel Arteta really wanted to see out of that position that he was, he wasn't going to get from Xhaka. He got the best you were going to get out of Xhaka, but Havertz is theoretically, I think, a, a, an upgrade on that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the role he fulfills. One of the other things I think we're also seeing about Arteta, though, is especially because of the way he came in and the way, especially early in his tenure, Arsenal was very rigid, very structured. Guys played in their positions. If things had deviated from that plan, you weren't seeing it. And so we kind of expect that when players are bought, you know, aha, Yuri and Timber is going to play Zinchenko, but on the other side, uh, Declan Rice is going to be the, is going to play for Thomas, you know, for Thomas Party. But instead, what you see in a lot of ways is these players sort of driving an evolution of the club's tactics. So Havertz can do a lot of more, a lot more different things. He's also tall. That's one of the other big things is that he's mm-hmm. a really taller player. So you put him in the box, and we haven't really seen this a lot because Arsenal doesn't play, you know, dumping crosses into the box. But it does theoretically make him more dangerous on crosses than Xhaka, who wasn't particularly tall. Um, right. So having a taller player on your forward line or, or being able to push up into that forward space. 
Um, we've seen Declan Rice and Thomas Party as a double pivot, which actually helps them both. They both right. defensive midfielders feeding into Odegaard, who you know can play that offensive distributor role, um, or okay. drifting off to the side. Like, so there's, I think part of it is also you're seeing a lot more flexibility. Now, having said that, Havertz has taken a lot of stick. He played for Chelsea, which already makes him a little, little suspect in some people's <laughs> minds. He was kind of a surprise. There was a lot of there were rumors for months about Declan Rice. No surprise there. Nobody kind of expected Kai Havertz, and you know, as the song says, like sixty million, you paid a lot for him. But he's a decent player. He played well with Chelsea. He scored the winning goal in the Champions League final two years ago. Um, but he hasn't been very good the last couple of years. Granted, no one at Chelsea's been very good the last couple of years. <laughs> you know, there's he's been a divisive player in a lot, among Arsenal fans. Um, I'm. He definitely has generally lacked confidence in front of goal. You can see some of his shots haven't been impressive. I've generally been impressed with his movement, the way he's gotten around. Um, he has also had a few embarrassing moments. Like, I'm pretty sure he got caught out of position or got in turnover, I think, in the Spurs game. I think their first goal, he was the... Because Jorginho got picked for the, 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 the second one. But I think in the first right. one, Havertz was involved in the, the build okay, yeah, the Spurs could, goal. Been. And it, it's one of those, it's easy to get locked into moments where you see them do something bad and kind of use focus on that aspect. I think he's been okay, but I think, you know, he lines up, he gets the penalty in the second half. He's able to convert it. And you can mm-hmm. see that his teammates really like the player. Other players really like him. They clearly want to see him continue to develop and, and, and continue to grow and, and help them. And they clearly like him. And so it's good to see. And so it, the song is funny that it exists, but also <laughs> I think it's, it's a good sign. I think, and even against the group I was with, there was generally a lot of anti Havert stuff the first couple of weeks. But I think even when he stepped up for the penalty, a lot of people Right. Started like, okay, come yeah. on. And he scored. It was, you know, it's, it's a right. good moment. Hopefully it, it builds that confidence. He becomes another, you know, right. good offensive player. Cause good guy Havertz is a, is a pretty good goal scorer for a, for an advanced midfielder. Well, so yeah. So as I've been paying a little more attention to him this week, uh, that that's useful context that you gave. Um, I was thinking of him as more of a kind of forward player that we were expecting to score more. And from that point of view, there have been some, I've had a lot of frustrations with him. Like when he's gotten chances, he's just blown them in bad ways. Like not, mm-hmm. and, and in contrast to, as we've been seeing Emil Smith Rowe get more time as a starter and getting even like substituted in earlier in the match instead of all the way at the end. So we've been seeing him play more than we ever did last season. When, when I first started watching Arsenal, um, like Smith Rowe hasn't really scored. I don't think so far this season that I can yeah. recall, but when he's missed it, it wasn't like bonehead obvious things that he was doing wrong. They were generally good shots that, you know, either hit off the post or typically would I think even just get blocked by a defender or the goalkeeper where it was, it was a good attempt. Like Havertz had an attempt toward the end of the, um, the Brentford match where I think it was that match. Um, it was a recent match. It may be that one. He, he was like surrounded by three defenders and, and he shot the ball. It was just a waste of the opportunity. If he'd found someone else and passed, like they could have maybe converted that. And, and he's just had some knucklehead, like yellow cards against him too. Just like, I, I just, so I'm glad you pointed out that you think he's good moving around the field and giving opportunities. Cause that's honestly, that's something I'm still working on paying attention to. 
my focus is still generally on where the ball is and I'm working mm-hmm. on broadening <laughs> and not focusing so much on that. So that's, that's useful for you to point that out. That makes me feel less bad, bad about yeah. some of these other things, but. And so, so a couple of things there, just in what you point out, which I think are good to think about. One is I, I mentioned there, that was our expectation, right? That he would be a Jaka or a more advanced Jaka, but then in the community shield, he's up on the forward line. I mean, he, he can be a forward player. He was a forward player at Chelsea. Right. So, uh, you know, we, we come in sort of thinking he's going to plug in and right. Part of the expectation then becomes, oh, well, if he's here, he must do this. Uh, maybe he's a different player then. Um, and so I, I do think that plays into a little bit as well. And, and I think you're right in terms of the goal scoring. I, I see that as a confidence problem that he's a guy who can get himself into position to take shots, but doesn't take very good shots. I think that's a confidence problem. I think the key part there, and you talk about sort of learning to watch the game and you're still watching the ball. The fact the ball keeps going to him is a good sign. Yeah. Like you're talking about the idea of movement. He pops up in a place where the ball could go. The ball goes to him. That That's a sign of his movement, that he's right. in a position to receive the ball. So even I'm not necessarily like as the play develops. I mean, I'm watching the ball, but I'm trying to see the players around him, trying to guess, trying to figure or see where the, the angles are, where the passes could be going, um, which is why a guy like Odegaard or even uh, um, Vieira, I find so impressive. They make passes. You see him go, oh, my God, I didn't <laughs> even see that. That's great. But mm-hmm. As you watch those players go, I, so I'm not watching Havertz, but when the ball keeps finding a guy and it keeps finding him, that's a good sign as far as his movement goes, as far as him getting himself into positions where he can receive the ball. Yeah. Now, like anyone else. He's going to have some, he's going to scuffle some shots. I mean, we've seen, you know, Jesus scuffle a few shots. Of we've course. seen, you know, we, I mean, when Pierre Aubameyang was there, excellent goal scorer. He was a volume shooter. Like he, he would miss from within five yards out and he's just like, how do you do that? But he also, but he still scored a lot of goals. And that's with a striker. That's just kind of how it goes. The good ones give themselves opportunities and the great ones convert them. Yep. Before we leave Havertz, um, what did you make? So it was it was pretty clear it was somewhere toward the beginning of the match. I don't actually have it recorded down when it happened, but he got a yellow card for a tackle against, I think it was Philip Billing. And mm. it was, I wouldn't really argue that it was a yellow card. It seemed like that was the right call and it at least wasn't obviously wrong. But then it was a, it was a light yellow to me, but okay. Yeah, but it was at least a foul and... Mm-hmm. I could see the case for a yellow card there, but then there was an almost identical tackle of billing against Havertz. Very clearly a vengeful move on his part. No yellow card, which really bothered me. It was extraordinarily frustrating how the yellow cards, how, how those yellow cards were not hand out. I don't want to dwell on the officiating. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, there were some massive inconsistencies in some of those instances uh, that was very frustrating. Uh, we did, however, I mean, I don't want to say we got two penalties like it was some sort of miracle. They were both, they were both clear-cut penalties. Um, they were bad. They yeah. were bad tackles. They, yeah. You know, they were mistakes when they were made. But yes, the, the, the imbalance in the cards there, you know, Havertz make one tackle. The way the game had been called to that point, I, I think we were a little frustrated, like, oh, that's a yellow. Okay. <laughs> and then to see the same thing happen later, a couple other times later, and not, at least one of them didn't even receive a foul. Right. Yeah, again, re- re- officiating. Yep. 
But yeah, so uh, it, it was good to see in, in stoppage time past the end of the match. Um, I don't remember his name. I don't know if you know it, but the set piece coach was arguing about a non-call. And it's like, that is a good, good idea. He's probably never going to have another opportunity to have a yellow card against him the rest of the season versus Arteta potentially starting to accumulate them a little bit. So, uh, yeah. Well, especially again, because it was a, it was a, it was a missed call. There he was, was right. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember, the, I don't remember the foul in <laughs> particular but as we were watching it like we clearly saw the card go out it was toward the arsenal bench and it was i mean we didn't get too angry because it was you know we were up for nail who cares but yeah. still like what what are we what are we doing here what 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 are we doing here and yeah uh nico jover nicholas jover is the set piece coach yeah um i i think probably what it was wasn't so much arguing per se but there were rules about like how many coaches are allowed to be up and doing things. So the fact that he probably bounced up and Arteta was probably still up there. So you can't have the two coaches there, you know, who knows who was saying what, but yeah, that was a, that was a frustrating, um, that was a frustrating, that was a frustrating moment. Um, especially given, I mean, we saw Saka kind of limping off a little bit, which is not, uh, not great. Um, no, love, and Jesus. I don't, I don't know if you saw that one time. I think it was after Jesus had taken a shot on goal or something. Something happened. He was like kneeling down on the field even after play resumed, mm-hmm. and he took a while to get back into it. And I was worried he was going to have to come off. He ended up staying on at least for a little while after that. I don't remember if he mm-hmm. made it through the end of the match, but um, I'm starting to get really nervous whenever I see anything happen to Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, that's not yeah. He, he's not a ninety-minute player yet either. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it's he's and he's yeah, he does a lot. But he does he does a lot for us. Eddie's Eddie's great, but I mean, I really with Trussard being out along with Martinelli being out, you know that you you really would like one of those guys out on the wing and put Jesus centrally. He just he just does. We talk about movement and guys who can do so many things. He does so much for us in the middle. I mean. Everyone sort of talks about how Arsenal kind of took a step back in the latter half of the season. And, and you know, it's been pointed out, like, like one of the big changes was up until the World Cup, we had Gabriel Jesus leading the line in the middle. After the World Cup, he was hurt. And even then, he's coming back. He's not fully healthy. Like, that was part of it. And so, right. you know, if, if we can get a healthy Jesus in the middle and leading the line, I mean, we, it just it does so much for us, makes us so dangerous. Um, yeah. It's just a real, it's, it's, it's frustrating because injuries have been piling up. There clearly are a bit more of an issue this season so far. And we got, right. we were fairly fortunate last year in, in having a pretty good run without any too many serious injuries. Right. Uh, but you saw at the end, Arteta doesn't trust the depth. There's not a lot of rotation. Guys are fatigued toward the end of the year. Our depth is better. I think Arteta's confidence in them is better. I think yeah. we're better equipped to handle that. Um, but it's, it's frustrating that it's, it's, you know, we're, we're two months into the season and you feel like you have to handle that already. So, right. But it's a balancing act. It's how it goes. Yeah. So a, a couple final uh, comments and a couple questions about this match. So one thing, just again, just kind of talking about what they choose to show during the coverage. It's kind of funny is you're seeing the Arsenal fans going nuts over and over again. There's one guy I saw had a weird name on the back of his mm-hmm. jersey. is like El Fano or something yeah. like that. He's wearing his jersey backwards, I guess, to... Yeah highlight that custom name on it. I don't know. But then they showed for a really long time just Bournemouth fan after Bournemouth fan just sitting there 
completely stone faced. And, uh, you know, I empathize. I was probably sitting there like that when I was watching Arsenal get beaten by Manchester United. I, I know that feeling well now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, but, the famous one is the so called cor- surrender cobra. Your team's losing when the, you see guys do this. Oh. Because it looks like, <laughs> yes, that's a, it's a very popular college. Yeah. yeah, very popular college football in particular. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to pick up, I don't want to pick on, on Bournemouth. You know, I, there are a couple, there used to be, they haven't seen them around, but there were, there used to be a couple of Bournemouth fans, a father and son who would pop in. The, the, the father was from Bournemouth. Um, his son was born in the U.S., but he, you know, had him supporting his team. And they weren't bad. I don't want to pick on, on Bournemouth fans, but yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, no, nothing about them in particular. It's just, yeah, I empathize. It stinks. We did have a, we did have a laugh they showed during the Community Shield after the after the game was over. I had a a small child who was a Manchester City fan was crying and and we joked or like you know he's probably never actually seen them lose before. <laughs> Which you think about his age, you go actually he might never you know he only started watching like in February. He, he maybe has never seen them lose before. Yeah, right. This is a really big moment for him. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the other thing is just kind of echoing what what you were saying, which is you know this was definitely a fun match to watch, and I really liked as they were subbing in, they were subbing in really good players who were coming in for the players who were taking off. That was a good thing. I was happy to see that. That's that's depth. That's depth, yeah. and that is going to be so crucial, especially if we keep winning. Even in the League Cup, but yeah, certainly the Champions League, obviously we'd like to go there. FA Cup will pick up. Our first game will be in January. You know, you're going to get to about March. And that, you know, February, March, that's when it starts to get real. As you know, that's when things start to yeah. get really... It, we, you didn't see that as much last year because we were out of the Cup so quickly. Right. But ideally, we keep winning, and you're going to want to be able to have those different players as injuries pile up. That's that depth. Um you go through those dog days when you're, you're kind of tired and guys are like, oh, it's another game. You kind of you fall into that that lethargy trap. But to have a guy who's you know talented and capable and chomping at the bits, like this is my chance. Like that's that's so big mentally as well as as just the physical angle as well. Yeah. So um, a couple questions. Mm-hmm. So. We've talked about, and, and I think they're maybe being more rigorous about this this season, but when a player goes down for an injury, they have to come off the field for a little bit before they're allowed to reenter, right? We've talked about that where I mm-hmm. think that may have always been the case, but they're enforcing a longer period or something like that this season. So I noticed during this Bournemouth match, their keeper, Neto, had been injured and mm-hmm. sought medical attention on the field and then returned to play. I'm guessing there's an exception to this rule for keepers or something because he wasn't held off to a side for a while. And I could see there being an exception because you don't want to leave your goal wide open. You have to have a keeper. I mean, I could see them making an exception for that reason. Do you know anything about that? I don't know that for sure, but I'm guessing that's what it is. There there probably is an exception for the keeper. Um, I don't know that for sure, but it it would make sense. Right, exactly. Because of the nature of the position he plays, of course. Yeah. So then... Also, so beginning of the second half, I saw maybe a half dozen guys all wearing the same uniform and not not a 
player's uniform, walking along the sidelines, her- carrying sticks that looked like they might have been some kind of farming tool or something. I wasn't sure who they were or what they were doing. Like I've seen in the past when it gets kind of close to the end of the second half, you'll have the highlighter yellow jackets come out and they're like security or police that are going to make sure that things stay ruly after the end of the match. But this was not that. It was all the way at the beginning of the first half. Who were they? What are they doing? That was the grounds crew. Like, you, okay. it's a little hard to tell, but you see at the end, you said they're like farming equipment. Yeah, rakes and stuff. And they were out there in the in the the pitch before, you know, during the half and replacing some divots and you know okay. camping down certain you know areas of the grass or you know maybe raking or cleaning up some areas, just doing all that kind of work. And as we saw, Bournemouth is a, a small stadium, right? So you know, there's only so many. Pla- it's not like the Emirates where they have multiple tunnels they could probably disappear behind. Sure. They have to sort of walk around. They go off and then walk around a distance to get to their where their space is. So right, the um, Emirates is more like Disney World. But <laughs> yeah, you don't, don't you don't have to see how it, you don't not supposed to see how it all works. Right, right. Disney World is famous for having like tunnels underneath the entire thing. The whole thing is elevated, so like you never see someone who's meant to be in Tomorrowland over in Frontierland. Mm-hmm. Like it's all yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can see the seams more. It's more like Universal Studios or something. Um, so Six Flags. So um, the last thing that kind of confused me is I thought that we had said, and, and I could totally be remembering this wrong, but I thought that we had said in past episodes when talking about offsides that you can't be offside for a set piece play for a dead ball play, essentially. Am I remembering that wrong? Because there was a free kick, I think it was, that happened toward the end. And they did an offside review after, and I forget how they ended up ruling, but it it just confused me that they were even checking it. Because I thought that when it is a set piece play like that, it doesn't matter. It's a dead ball. I thought we'd said that. No, no, you you cannot be offside on a corner or a throw in. Oh, okay. For set pieces like free kicks, absolutely. And you will see, especially if a goal gets scored, you'll see like guys checking out the line. Right. You'll, you'll see checking on that, on those. Um, I think as I, as I'm thinking about it more. Yeah, as I'm thinking about it more and remembering that review, I think there's like a cluster of players and I thought that Tomiyasu's elbow might have been a little off, but I think they're all just so packed together. I don't think there's any hope of coming to a realistic answer yeah. an accurate answer and also it goes into as well remember the 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 offside it has to be a part of your body that can score you can't score with your elbows so right that's if true, the elbow's yeah. offside actually that's yeah. not uh, technically i believe that shouldn't count right um, yeah they, they ruled not offside so right. yeah but okay cool so uh player of the week um do you have any thoughts well, I, I don't know since we since we both watched. Well, I don't know since you watched the Brentford game. I guess I'm curious. Do you have a, a player of the of the match for the league our league cup game? Yeah, so I guess I've been in my mind. I've been thinking of it as trying to determine overall for the week, like across both oh, yeah. matches, who stands out. Now you bring up the league cup match, and I picked a favorite player for that match and was looking for supporting evidence in the second match. Does he still deserve player of the week overall? And I decided yes. And I I think Gabrielle really deserves some credit this week, Um, especially during the Brentford match. Um, He was just exactly where he needed to be in plenty of time to prevent a few potentially dangerous situations um, and just really did a great job. Um, he had some direct blocks that were also nice. And that was what I mainly noted during the Bournemouth match. Also, he had at least one that was a, just a good straightforward block of a shot. Um, 
but yeah, I, it looked like he was doing a really good job on defense this week. Okay. I, yeah, a lot of the commentary I, I read in the aftermath of the, the born, uh, the Burnford game. See, I did it. I almost made it. Um, the, <laughs> the Burnford game was about the, the strength of the defense. I know I think it was ours blog had, had Tomiyasu as his player of the game because he evolved that he does. Gabrielle is another, is another good one. Um, not having watched the, the Brentford game too much, I can't really, I, I don't, I didn't watch enough to be able to say, um, gosh, in terms of, you know, player in the, in the Bournemouth game, I, I, I think we were just, overall, we were just really good. We were really composed that we handled things well. Um, I, I, I'm going to feel, since I can only speak to the Bournemouth game, you know what? I'm going to say Kai Havertz. I thought he had did some nice things. I thought it was nice for him to get the goal. Um, but you could pick a lot of guys. I thought Odegaard was his usual solid self. Gabriel and Saliba in the central defense. Like you almost don't even notice Saliba sometimes. Right. Just he's just so it just takes care of things. Um Sinchenko yeah. was doing his usual running about. I thought he actually did had a few had a few decent defensive plays. I think he also got shrugged off the ball a couple times defensively. So I mean, but overall I think Bournemouth is Bournemouth's not good. Uh, they're 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 a team that's going to be down near relegation, I think, for most of the season. So yeah, seems uh, like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think they're going to be bailed out by the fact that the three promoted clubs look awful. Um, as does Everton, and well, I was going to say Wolves, but then again, they just beat City, which we haven't done for a while. So, <laughs> um, but I, I'm I'm going to say Havertz. You know, I thought he did some nice things. It was nice to see him get the goal. Um. Yeah, I think I think I'll go. Well, we'll say Kai Havertz, but you could pick a lot of players in the game, and I wouldn't be, <laughs> you know, Ben White chipped in with a goal at the end, and he's just a just a quietly really good player having a really good season. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't know that Wolves beat City. I, the commentators have mentioned something about City losing. I didn't know it was to Wolves. I wonder if they just rolled out a subpar lineup, figuring it's only Wolves, and it bit them or something. Um, well, given it's, it's city, even their subpar lineup is probably yeah. competes for a European spot. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know in terms of their lineup. They were at wolves. Um, I got the impression wolves got a goal. Um, is it two one? They won. I, I remember watching cause people were pulling off on their phones. We had watching the last like three to five minute. I mean, Arsenal game was effectively over. So we're really kind of paying more attention <laughs> right. to the, 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 you know, the, the, the wolves game at that point. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they, uh, they defended well. I mean, City was kind of camped out in there and the last, the last couple of minutes, generated some chances, but, uh, couldn't, couldn't get it in. Yeah. 2 1 Wolves. Yeah. Um, you know, those, those games are going to happen. Um, you know, that's, it's why, you know, again, we're, our shirt this year celebrates the, you know, the, uh, 20th anniversary of the Invincibles. That, that's hard to do. And, yeah. As of right now, there are only two teams remaining in the league who n- don't have any losses, and it is us and Tottenham. Oh, so they what did they do this weekend? Uh, they they beat Liverpool uh, with a at, with a goal. I think it's like the ninety sixth minute, uh, wow. a very late goal. Which I mean, Spurs are having a good run. I don't think they're going to they're going to lose some games this year. They're 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 having a nice they're having a nice run. They're having some good moments. I think they'll have they'll have some some not so good moments. So uh, in terms of teams threatening the Invincibles record, City was the only real possibility of doing that. Right. Um, I still think they're the heavy favorites to win the league. I think they're. I think there's a. There are more worlds where they pull away from everybody else. Uh, but we're a point behind them, and you know we'll mention this as we get to the end, which should be coming soon. 
uh, they're next. So yeah, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, one really minor thing I just remembered I didn't didn't write down, but um, Cedric Suarez got a little bit of play time. Um, am I remembering right? Last season, didn't his jersey say Suarez, and now it says Cedric instead? Or am I remembering that wrong? Um, I think it has always said it's always said Cedric. I wonder okay. at one point if it actually did say Cedric Suarez, uh, but definitely said Cedric. Okay. Um, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> I, I don't know how serious yeah. you're being. <laughs> Not at all. A, a player we have desperately tried to sell, who seems like a very nice person, as far yeah. as you can tell about these things. But yeah, he's a guy who is just not on this level. Uh, but yeah. You know, it was the League Cup. Why not? Yeah. So, uh, as alluded to, uh, what's what's coming up next week? Uh, two two big ones uh, on Tuesday. Tomorrow, as we're recording on Monday. Tomorrow Tuesday. Or, or yesterday, depending on when you end up Tomorrow for us, but in the in the future for us, but in the past for you, uh, will be uh, a Champions League game at... Uh, well, it's spelled Lens. I believe it's pronounced Lens. I don't actually know. It is in northern France, so it's a very quick trip. Um, a team that is not having a very good season, as I recall, in uh, in Ligue 1 uh, so far, but uh, still a, a road game in the Champions League. We need to be careful. Should be tricky. Um, yeah, Lens is down in fifteenth in the in the French league uh, hmm. out of eighteen teams. So good times. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yes, a game we should get a result. I'd be curious to see if we rotate the squad because, as we said before, lurking on Sunday, it's Man City at the Emirates. It's this is this is the big one. Um, we'll see. You know, yes, we played them well in the Community Shield. You know, it was good to get the result there. But you know, as we said, you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And this yep. this is one of those games. This is the one they're going to take seriously. This I think is. I think this is a real chance. Um, you know, I just hope we're, we're as healthy as can be going in. And um, yeah, I'm tapping the our... table nervously. I'm like, try not to be nervous about this, but I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to talk myself into it by Sunday. <laughs> Do it guys. Oh, um, this we'll is see. our home game against them. So it's kind of our best shot. So yeah, yeah. Theoreti- theoretically, this is our, this is, this is the one you want. I mean, again, you know, if we can take some points off them at all this season, it's a big plus But man at home. I mean, well, and it sounds like if we beat them, we surpass them in the table. Is that right? Yes, we would jump them. We're a point behind them, and a win would put us would put us top. Uh, yeah. Well, put us ahead of City. Obviously, top depending on what Spurs does. I don't know who they're playing. I don't really care. Yeah, we'll, we'll finish <laughs> ahead of them again. But that's, we'll deal with that. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you're watching on YouTube, and please try it. Uh, you might like it. Um, please like and subscribe the show. Uh, to support the show even more, you can become a Gooner U super fan like we talked about earlier. For ad-free episodes, as well as raw, unedited unedited bootleg recordings available the night we record. It's only a dollar a month. That's, that's like nothing, right? And there's a link in the show notes to join. So you can follow our show on Twitter at Gooner U Show for updates and to ask questions. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. Again, my name is Dove. You can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. And with me, as always, is Keith. And you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Go, you Gunners. <laughs>